0: Hey guys i'm chris and i'm mike and welcome back to this week's this month's no limits the scott harvath podcast how you doing this week mike i'm doing good
1: because we are back on talking about brad thor it's been a while we've done what oath of loyalty kyle mills quite a bit we've done jack carr and
0: true believer and now it's brad thor time yep yep and uh We've got a couple interviews in there, got a couple more planned coming up. So it's actually been a while since we potted because we had the True Believer like saved for a while and we had some other pods I think saved as well. So our last like in person, last time I saw your beautiful face was the Kyle interview and that was like late September. So it's now now October 19th. but excited to talk this book, uh, you know, getting back to the Scott. We took a little bit of a break, but we're we're now back to one Scott Harbath book a month. Yeah, and in case you're not aware, you can find all that content
1: we just discussed over on season one of No Limits. That's the Mitch Rapp podcast or No Limits, the Thriller podcast, which is our third feed. Uh, that's where we're covering the Jack Carr books and plenty of other things, including a really big interview coming up. So. If you're not subscribed to both the Mitch Rap Podcast and No Limits Thriller Podcast, go ahead and do that because we've got a big guest and possibly a special guest, not going to say much more right now, coming up very soon. So check those feeds out. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for all things No Limits. Yep, yep. So I got an idea to get us back in the Brad Thor mindset into the world of Scott Harvath. We're covering Takedown, and so before we do the usual stuff, can I humor you with a little bit of a quiz game? Can I put you on the spot here? (laughs) I
0: I love the quiz games. You love love when I do this, don't you? Yes, 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 yes.
1: Here's why, though. There's fantastic writing in this book. And there's a whole lot going on with characters that we love, characters that define the Scott Harvath series. So... I put those together and pulled a few quotes, and these quotes are describing four of the main characters, not only in this book, but characters we love throughout the whole series, and I wanted to see if you can fill in the blank. Audience at home, feel free to play along, try to fill in the blanks. We'll see, Chris, how you do filling in the blanks, so I'll start you off with an easy one because, man, we've got an awesome debut in this book. Blank was a man who made his livelihood dealing in the art of duplicity and blackmail. Would that be the troll? Ding, 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 ding. That is the troll dealing in the art of duplicity and blackmail.
0: Finally, I, I couldn't remember when we got the troll and it took till book five to have this integral character as we go. it's. I'm really interested to talk to you about how we're introduced to the troll, right? And you know, we we just did Rising Tiger, which the troll was—you know—he's evolved over time. So yeah. really excited to talk about that
1: and his backstory, his upbringing, how he got to where he is. Yes, yeah. All right, next one. Blank would make the right call, no matter how hard a decision it was. He always did. Who's in the hot seat, needing to make the right calls for the country?
0: Oh, that was President Rutledge. Yes, sir. They did two for two tonight. I remember that was, uh, like, whatever the d the DOD secretary, like, yep. plan, he, he, he knew that Rutledge would make the right call. They knew he
1: would approve Operation Driftwood, which we still don't really right. know what it is. No, we don't. Halfway through this book, so. Uh, yeah, and by the way, for anybody, we're only covering the first half of the book, part one, chapters one through 50, and I don't know about you, Chris, but that's all I read through was was chapter yes same yeah same i
0: stopped i I didn't want to stop because it's kind of like a it is a nice time to stop because it's a nice end to an action scene but i just wanted to keep keep listening right so i feel like i had to control how to control myself
1: it was at the precipice of we were about to start getting answers i think on a couple of things or movement on a couple of things i really want to see progress but uh yeah Right, right this is a true part one and part two podcast because we don't even i'll be honest i don't even remember much of the ending from here on out because I read this. When did it come out? Two thousand six, seven? I think two thousand six. So, it's post nine eleven, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a. Bu- That's one thing I want to bring up. This is two thousand six. Yeah, this is a book. This is the age of terrorism. You know, when a lot of thriller authors were really, you know, knee deep into a post nine eleven world. Yes. All right. Well, here's one more. Speaking of uh, fighting against terrorism in a post nine eleven world. So we just toss the rule of law out the window? No, replied Blank. What I'm suggesting is that we stop believing that Western principles apply to our enemies. We can't win the war on terror, playing by a set of rules our opponents refuse to recognize. Is that... Lawler? Ding, ding, ding. Gary Lawler. Three for three over here. Boom, baby. And finally, you know, save the tough one for last. At thirty-six, his carefree days of unlimited cheeseburgers and beers were now behind him. At five foot ten and a muscular one hundred seventy-five pounds, Blank was in better shape than most men half his age.
0: Mm, that's an easy one, Hardbath. That's our boy. There it is. All right, five, so. five foot ten. You got five it. Five foot ten. What does he have brown ha- brown hair, blue yep. eyes? Yep. Yep.
1: All right, you passed the quiz show. Four for four. I was really happy to see all these characters. You know, it's been a while reading it. President Rutledge is on fire here. That speech he gives, I, we're going to have to get mm. to that. Man. And and thinking about, like we said, this book is a book for the age of terror. A president giving a speech and Brad Thor gets to write that. You know, a post-tragedy right. speech. Right. It's almost like speech writers could analyze this, you know, like – Right now, you know, we can have speechwriters in the White House who can analyze this text as if it were something, you know, Bush gave, you know, back in two thousand one, two thousand two, or whoever would have to give this after a national tragedy.
0: Yeah, and I think that this book, unlike any of the previous Brad Thor books, is his biggest answer to nine eleven or like um treatise response. or nine eleven like like response to nine eleven. Not only is it blatantly talked about in in this novel but also you know obviously it takes place in Manhattan and yeah. references the attacks and how you know we should have learned from all like, oh, in the attack that happens in this book he's able to reference all the mistakes that were that were uh, taking place on that that horrible day and it's sort of like a reflection while also I feel like he's trying to turn the page a little bit you know, like both both to reflect back on it, turn the page on it, and address. Obviously, we're in we're in the heart of Brad's, you know, fundamental in Islam. You know, I don't want to call it vendetta. You know, like it's it's in the core of his ideology, the core of his books, right. um, his early and, books, and this his early books, and then this this is I feel like is his biggest response to nine eleven.
1: You make me think. I wonder if it's cathartic almost for him getting this book out sure. of the way. Yeah. Is he saying, in his opinion, what needs to be said so that he has kind of this freedom to move on to other storylines or, or other cracks? Because we've criticized the early Thor books for a few wise cracks that don't age well. Let's put it that way. Right. Right. But at the same time, I think they did capture the attitudes, particularly of sure. service members. And the families of, of people who lost loved ones. So I don't want to criticize him for that. And I, I don't want to reopen that conversation. But I think we said our piece about it. We don't necessarily want low blows in our thrillers. And there's a few here. You know, whether it's falafel jokes about a terrorist. Or there's a couple of zingers back and forth. Bullet Bob and Scott. <laughs> They're pretty funny together. But, you know, a couple of gay jokes. And, you know, I just i think it's stuff that doesn't age well Well. It reflects the attitudes of the time. And I think if you understand that, we can all move on. But not necessarily something we want in our modern-day thrillers anymore. So, yeah, leave it at that. But I
0: do want to, like, you know, you kind of wrote it here, The the Adventures of Scott and Bullet Bob. (laughs) This book is really like that. And I I don't know if we want to talk right now about the team that Bullet Bob is able to uh, assemble. And, like, that'll be the core sort of force, you know, through the course of this novel, and how you know it's it's set up we, we we're pretty quickly there's a, there's a couple chapters, and then boom, we're in New York pretty much right. for the majority of the beginning of this novel, and probably the, you know to the end, I think I remember that so
1: right, because I was actually shocked in the first ten chapters or so how many notes I was taking for the traveling heavy Scott Harvath Travel Guide. It's like, wait, I thought this book was attacks in New York, yet the opening scene is he gets it
0: out of the way like very very quickly, right? We go from Marrakesh. We start off in Marrakesh, and then we go to Somalia, and then the troll is in like Upper Scotland, right? Islands, yep.
1: Montreal. Scots they pick up. Scots in Montreal.
0: Yep. They bring
1: him through upstate New York. They're traveling downstate. It's like I think the president's in Wisconsin before he's when he back goes to the DC White House. yeah
0: like but man
1: that's a lot of places all in a very short <laughs> amount of chapters that almost kind of have nothing to do with the rest of the book because they're just setting the stage
0: right and then immediately we're just we're in in New York City yeah and I, I wanted to ask you about this i i what did you think normally scott is very good at or scott normally brad is very good at like capturing the essence of describing you know, the, the cities and, you know, like one of the things we loved from whether it be lions or whether it be, you know, Germany in state of the union, I, I felt like New York city was kind of lacking. I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's just like not, not that important like to the, to the, to the whole story. So like, it just, it's, it's a sort of afterthought or like everyone knows what New York city is. So yeah. what do you think about that? I if you didn't bring you're it up, you're a New Yorker, so
1: I was gonna say if you didn't bring it up, I was going to that. Yeah, I'm a New Yorker, and I spent plenty of time in Manhattan and driving Manhattan. And so, what boggles my mind first and foremost, the amount of free movement where they're driving around the city, or emergency vehicles are getting through, or these SUVs are moving around, dude. On a good day. You're not going anywhere fast in a vehicle, and this is definitely not a good day in Manhattan. Like, w- <laughs> one lane on one bridge or tunnel closes down, and you've got gridlock for miles, and all of a sudden, every bridge and tunnel explodes, and like we're kind of just going about our day. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I don't think I was transported there, and besides the devastation, the, the attacks— I also just didn't get the textures the sights and sounds and smell of the city I I want a, a pretzel vendor just randomly on the side mm. of the street I you know I want a hot dog you know or or just a bagel shop or just something that they either make an appearance in or that describes the the landscape of Manhattan I I mean you can insert any city here this could be an attack on Chicago and the writing doesn't change all that much you know right I uh, yeah, I'm a little disappointed in that. I think that's the best way to put it is you write a scene in Manhattan that's clearly got a post 9-11 vibe. The city should be on edge. And is it cool when the bridge blows up and, you know, the Secret Service motorcade with Goldilocks is involved and they got to move her and rush her and all this stuff? Yeah, the action is super cool, but you replace it with any bridge in any city. And, and Manhattan's not just
0: another city. I should feel that way in the text. I would agree with that. So I wanted to ask you, I guess we've sort of buried the lead here, but like the major plot point of of the story, right, is Scott, after capturing this terrorist in Canada, heads to New York City for the Fourth of July weekend to hang out with his buddy because he's not married, doesn't have a girlfriend, but wants to spend the holiday with somebody and they're going to go on a drunken tirade. In the process of beginning their their weekend of debauchery, this attack happens. So it starts with right an attack in the three different boroughs. On also in the the, the like counter the, the backup counterterrorism center, like something in in the Bronx and something in right. like oh school right there, there's a school in Queens and the school like something hostage in the Bronx. thing, which
1: I think was right. a diversion to take all the emergency service personnel basically away right. from the, the
0: city. Yeah, and then they blow the bridges and tunnels, every single tunnel, which yep. I, that's, it's been done in, in a movie, um, a couple of different movies, actually, and I meant to look it up like, was this before or after this book, and all of this is because there is a prisoner in the, the city who is what, uh, Eminem, right, so he's uh, Osama bin Laden's bomb maker, and he he was taken in Somalia a couple of weeks back and they brought him to New York City. Like, I, I guess we don't know why he was brought to New York City. Like, right. we know that there's a secret plan between the president, the secretary of defense and, you know, some higher up and some general. Right. We don't quite understand why, of all places, he would be brought to New York City. Although we do get the discussion that they don't want to choose one
1: of the traditional black sites. In another country, and they talk about extraordinary rendition and why we can't really have that continuing because a lot of backlash in the media and also foreign governments no longer wanting to have that relationship with our intelligence services that they'll actually house the people in their borders. So there's a little bit of talk of that, but yeah, still kind of vague of why they're brought to Midtown
0: Manhattan. Right. So I wanted to ask you, so do you think it's because if all the bridges – um, I guess like if you're on the island, like, and it's the middle, but Fourth of July, I've been to Manhattan Fourth of July, and it's pretty empty. Yeah, that's a good point. So like, if everyone's going out, and they even say that when the Goldie, the Goldilocks scenes, how there it's easy for them to go in, but like the traffic going on the way out is is really bad. Yeah, it's like going point. out to the Hamptons or whatever. So I'm wondering if like, all right, they blow the bridges, Manhattan's already like pretty empty because people have already left for the weekend. Maybe that's why they're able to move around so quickly. Yeah. But either way, I I agree with you that I wanted some more texture with like, you're in this place, you know, you're in this iconic place. Give me some descriptions. Like you said, hot dog vendors, even landmarks. So so, yeah, like finally we get to central park in in chapter 50. uh, And you know, the central park zoo and, and that kind of stuff. But before that, We we get the one reference to we get hospitals and we get the bar they go to like the Whistling Pig right so yeah I I wanted some more some more texture yeah
1: and I think there's a bigger question here especially the bringing the terrorists to New York stuff and actually that makes me think I wonder if this is commentary on though I think it may have been later remember there was a big discussion of if certain terrorist suspects and hvts that we've captured should be on trial and people had thought of new york city you know putting them on actual civilian trials in new york city and obviously it's just a ridiculous notion but it was debated in the public arena for a little while and i don't remember exactly what years that was going on the talk of that but it was a thing so i wonder if this is commentary on that nonsense but anyway it be i think the bigger Could question be. is do you like this play or or this use of the mystery box of so many things are being set up as mysteries and and to me who doesn't really remember the book all that much i remember generally the attack on new york but i'm kind of wondering this House figure cuz we get some really good white house and situation room scenes here uh yes. with the cabinet and it's so House the He's secretary of Homeland Security. Homeland Security. Yeah. He's definitely technically at, Scott's boss. He's te- yeah. Technically Scott's boss. Yet he's at odds with both Lawler and the president and a lot of the generals, including the Joint Chief, who remember they go at it over his Somalia comment, how, you know, we're reluctant or hesitant to put any other boots on the ground because of what happened in Mogadishu. And the general, the Joint Chief, was in Mogadishu. And he's like, we'll do it again if we need to. What are you talking about? We're soft and won't go do that again. Of course we will if the mission parameters call for it. So they're they're going at each other's throats. So it's like a mystery box. What's his role in this? Because he's definitely set up as the, the anti-hero or the anti right. uh, right, lawyer right.
0: The bad politician.
1: Right, right, right. Well, he's going to claim we need to upheld, uphold the rule of law. That's who we are. We're no worse than the terrorists if we don't. Yeah, so he's the kind of, you know, the other side of it. The, um, what do you call it? The devil's advocate in a sense. But then we get another mystery box of what's Operation Driftwood and who's really holding the terrorists because. Right, Scott, there's confusion with that. Right. He dropped off the guy they picked up in Montreal with what he thought was New York's joint counterterrorism, you know, force. KCTC, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. The J.T.T.C. or something. AT- so he, yeah, yeah something He like thought he dropped in with them. And this guy, Mike Jaffe, who was wearing, you know, the proper credentials and everything and had the jacket, you know, that he was joint counterterrorism operations. But then turns out there is no Mike Jaffe. So it's really a DIA plan, a defense intelligence agency plan, which is what I think Operation Driftwood was that the president approved. So did the president approve something? Where we're having this major fake-out of we actually have Mohammed bin Mohammed and the other terrorists, but they're not with the right people. So did we kind of – did we basically use the city of Manhattan and the civilians as bait to draw out an attack and we're secretly hiding the terrorists? And that was approved by the president, Mm. which sounds bizarre. And then how and why is the troll hiring Chechen guys to go – Location by location, looking for the terrorists. So Right, like,
0: and these locations that uh, I think are connected to the NSA somehow. The diamond shop. Because they you know, they're paperless places, all they do is are you know, they have computers that crutch numbers crutch data. And we get that one scene from the NSA who mentions that, oh, these two places are offline. And but these locations are completely batted down with people in like either plain clothes or Marines, you know, and it's a diamond shop that has like three Marines guarding it, or it's like a, a fake office building. A shell company. Every single, every single worker has, you know, a weapon, you know, like right. I imagine like, you know, right. you seeing you walking in and you seeing like this, they mentioned like the one lady who's smoking as a secretary <laughs> and she pulls out her Glock. Yeah. You know, what are these sites? Yeah. What are these sites? I was so good. We still haven't figured that out. And obviously, we get we cut to the interrogation scenes with um, Muhammad. What's his name? Eminem. Muhammad. Well, there's um, Muhammad, bin Muhammad bin Muhammad. And then I and think then there's his, Jamal. his cousin or yeah, his, exactly. his nephew, Jamal. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's that going on with they still keep calling him Mike Jappy, whatever whatever his name is. Or, and maybe um, he is, but he definitely works for DIA and not the Joint Terrorism. Yeah, DIA and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He misled Scott and Gary. I'm just wondering why, what's the what's the reasoning for not letting people in on it, you know? It's got to be leading up to some big reveals, right? Because I
1: feel in the dark about it. And, and actually, I was going to have some negative reviews of this first half. I had to read it a second time. After I just read it, I literally had to go back and read it again. And then I finally got like who's who and who's who's sketchy. But the first time I was just a little confused because
0: too many mysteries were going on all at once. Right. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. There's, you know, there's the mystery, you know, and Scott Scott's the one trying to figure out all of them. Right. And somehow they're all going to connect in the end. Yep.
1: But they're running on loose ends like Scott and Gary really have nothing. They're calling each other back and forth like we have nothing else so look into this thing and then you know lawler puts pressure on the fbi oh here's another angle dude martin source director source of the fbi right and he's he's involved with it somehow too right he has his guys lie to gary lawler and try to cover up whatever's going on with dia the defense intelligence right right like so the fbi is in this and it goes to the top we know House is being set up as this homeland security director who actually maybe doesn't agree with the president's methods on homeland security who's the bad who's the big bad here and secretly the troll running these chechen hit teams which are causing the destruction what is going well on? in
0: in in concert with abdul ali right who ali once right. is is the assassin hired by al, al- qaeda to right. to get back Muhammad bin Mohammed. Yeah, the troll's just now, essentially th- the contractor. There's another aspect to this. There's another mystery box because the troll has one of the Chechens on his side secretly like pumping him data from the site. So like, yes. And it's like, why does he want this data? We, we don't know, quite know what this data is. So there's there's a lot of mysteries being set up that hopefully will get fully explained by the end of the novel. Yeah, I think they have to. I
1: I got halfway through the book, and I was wondering if I wanted a little bit, I wanted a peek behind the curtain a little more at what's going on. I think the clues are there. Like when I read it that second time, I picked up on a lot more of them, but it's a rather complex book. And we've noticed on the last few thrillers we read, particularly new releases, they don't have that complexity. And no, they don't. I I miss this complexity. I was talking with an industry insider and he definitely said the trend is shorter books, less words, more editing getting cut on, you know, and left on the cutting room floor. And I I kind of I see that as a negative. I I know the publishing industries want shorter want to sell to shorter attention spans and a younger audience, and it's all about moving books and the bottom line. But unfortunately, a few new releases, including Rising Tiger in the Brad Thor series, it didn't have the meat, the complexity and and the detail I wanted. So reading these earlier books, I'm enjoying that. They are heavier, meatier, longer. I'm getting a little lost in this one, but I think that's I think the payoff will be there. So I don't know if I like this trend because going back to some of these older books, there's a lot more to chew on in them. You don't just rip yes. through them in a few sittings and go, oh, that was a cool story. You have to actually stop and think what's going on here.
0: Very true. Very true. Do you want to talk a little bit about the action? Yeah, there's,
1: there's a lot. of There's just one more person I want to bring up because um, oh, we've sure. kind of done the whole cast of characters, right? And the only other one is a quick phone call Scott has to Kevin McAuliffe
0: mm, at the I National like Geospatial
1: yeah. Agency, Intelligence
0: Agency. He's from uh, what book? Was that State of the Union? No, no, no. The last one. He was in the last one. He, he was in Blowback? I was, Blowback. I was trying
1: to think. Was this the guy he called who was like running marathons or something? Who was also yeah, and he gets some guy? the yeah. the the satellite imagery exactly. in the Alps. Exactly. Right, right, right. And here he's tracking down digital phones and seeing what towers they digital think. phones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it seems the terrorists have some sort of network where one central authority, the head terrorist, if you will. Can monitor, control, and there's a pager, right, of where the different cell towers are with the different teams so they can coordinate. And, and Scott even says, oh, I know you, why you have those watches. They're not detonator watches like I've seen throughout the Middle East. They're coordination watches. So the attack can happen at the same time. So, Right. I wanted to mention the techie end of things because of one, one minor gripe here that I'm curious if you picked up on as well. He sounded an awful lot like Marcus. Marcus Demond, calling a really? tech guy in. Yeah, just to to do the tech and give you answers. You know, you need answers, call Marcus. And George Goodell reading this book. Uh I hate to say it, it was a bit of a turnoff. I, I just when we read Scott Harvath books, narrated by George Goodell, I'm just like, oh, call Marcus. Or I'm thinking like, bring in Scott Coleman. And unfortunately it, it's getting me confused. And then all of that came to a head when Kevin McAuliffe Though I'm sounded thinking like of, Marcus. No, I'm thinking of him as Marcus, but no, not at all. He sounds exactly like Scott Coleman.
0: Exactly. Uh, yes.
1: And I was so thrown off because I'm like, wait a minute, that's Scott Coleman. And I was like, oh, no. And in my mind, I just couldn't reconcile it. So one of the few times I'm going to say it might be a negative on my score that I'm listening to this book read by George Goodell.
0: Yeah, I want to know when we get Armin Schultz. Because he he takes over and, and and reads all of them. So, have
1: has he done any of them yet? In the in the ones we've reread, like the first five, I I don't think so.
0: No. So, George did has done a couple of them. Oh no, he might have did lines. He might have did lines. Let me pull it up. Oh, while we're on it, one other problem
1: with the audio narration. I don't know how I felt
0: about the troll. Oh, and then the troll's voice. Cause the, yeah. so Armin Schultz gets troll's voice Perfect. perfectly. Perfect. Um, yeah, the, that was, that, that really took me out of it.
1: I don't know if George's troll voice is, uh, is doing it for me. So tweet at us. If you disagree that you really <laughs> enjoy George's troll, hashtag George, the troll. And, uh, feel free to disagree with these two clowns over here <laughs> uh armin schultz
0: did uh lions he did lions okay yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. i i think lions stands out as my favorite book in the series and and him reading it might be a big part of that you know so
0: armin schultz also did path of the assassin so he okay. did those two okay and then it's with state of the union it's state of the union blowback and takedown is is George Goodell. Okay. All right.
1: Well, yeah, I think you're right to move on to the action. That is really the, the who's who cast of characters I wanted to uh, set the stage with, lay the framework.
0: Yeah, so we we get quite a bit of action. I mean, not only to start out with the attacks, um, there's some really cool like scenes with Goldilocks and the Secret Service where she, you know, obviously the, the initial scene when... We, <laughs> At first, again, a mystery. We we're reading the chapter, and it may seem like it's it's the, they're these parents, right. <laughs> You know, driving their kids in for you know a night. And there's one, this one little line that when I read it the first time, I was like, "Oh, that's a weird line." Like it's like Martha and and Tim Tim and, and Marcy what, and Tim Tim and Marcy were used to being ignored, and I was like, "Well, that's awful. These kids are awful." Yeah. Like and they're going but now. Clubbing? It makes sense. You're driving them to go clubbing, and they're that rude to you. Yeah, you're driving them to go shopping on like 5th Avenue and then Fucking to go rats. clubbing. Yeah. Um I was like, who the fuck are these these kids? Like Uh but then it made sense. Like obviously they're their you know, protective detail. It was pretty gruesome that he has like uh Brad has her two friends get like severely impaled. Oh yeah. And obviously Amanda is okay. I mean, again, Amanda can't can't stay uh stay out of the way. She's the one who Scott has to save. In lions, right? Like right? In the snow. Right. Very iconic scene right there. Oh, yeah. That's that all time. All time.
1: Brad Might scene. be Brad's best, to be honest. When when Scott's in that cave with Goldilocks.
0: Oh, my God. And it saves her life. It's uh, unbelievable. Yeah, awesome. Um awesome. What else? What are some uh, other action? Um,
1: There's some random action, right? Like the hits on the diamond place with the Chechens and whatnot. Yes. But they just seem like one offs. So, you know. It's leading somewhere, but right now I'm not super invested in, you know, how many marine guards they kill or how many offices they shoot up. And, you know, I kind of wanted to move to the next thing, but I guess that that gave me a little action.
0: I guess the biggest one so far in this first half is the ambush that they try to coordinate in Central Park.
1: Oh, dude, and the horse. That's right.
0: Which ends up going really badly because the they get stopped by the mounted police And, you know, get told to put, I thought that was interesting that he said, who, Timothy McVeigh was, was stopped and was, was, was he let go because they were looking for like uh, a Muslim instead of, you know, looking for a white, a white person. Right.
1: Yeah. That was an interesting detail. And these NYPD cops didn't want to, didn't want to do that all over again. And let Scott and guys go thinking they're suspicious and that they might have fake credentials. Yeah. Oh, man, when he takes that horse, dude. So, yeah, the Central Park stakeout scene of McAuliffe gave them imagery of these two SUVs going around, black SUVs. And so that's one clue. And later on, they see those towards the end of the chase. But to draw them out, they use the cell phone that they got off one of the terrorists. And they set up a fake meeting place so they can draw out his his boss. And obviously, his boss is going to come to kill him because he wants to tie loose ends because this is a terrorist whose bomb didn't explode properly and so he's not supposed to be alive. He was a suicide bomber, bomb didn't go off and basically his his uh jihad, you know, supervisor wants to take him out cuz he's a loose end. So he meets him in Central Park and that's when Scott, oh who's the lady in their their group? There's there's some lady they used to in the sting operation. She's been pretty badass.
0: There's three people that Bob is in this PTSD therapy group, the therapy right? Group, yeah. And two of them are, there's Morgan Cates and the chick. What's her name? And she's the EOD specialist. That's right. She's an EOD her. specialist. She only has one, one good eye because right. it got messed up. Uh, she keeps catching Scott staring at her. Yeah. So. Yeah. But,
1: but Scott takes the horse off one of the the cops who get the mounted. Uh, the Mounties who gets shot. He's taking that thing across central park. And then he goes down a street following the SUVs and he, he shoots one of them out, right? Shoots the back of it out, the back of it out. They shoot at him. His horse goes down and they're like on some random like street Manhattan and the horse dies. And I was just, that was vicious. Like I thought that whole chase was, you're right. Besides the bridge blowing up with the secret service detail, that's definitely the best action scene of the first half.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Some of the cool moments were like when they're on the roof, they see the RPG come out and take out the uh, oh, the, the helicopter. That was one of like the one one of the real times where I like I, I felt, you know, the a scene where like you're you're placed in this in the city and you just get this sense of dread, right? Yes. You're every, everyone's watching the TVs shit's going crazy. Let's go up to the roof, get, you know, get a picture they, they see like plumes of smoke all over. They see a helicopter, you know, sort of going to help. And the next thing you know, that helicopter goes down, and you know, like shit. something, something is, is, is up. That was pretty intense.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, some, some really good action. I'm looking forward to, you know, hopefully getting some more and getting some answers of, of what's going on here. Yeah. Yes.
1: You know, so there's another, and maybe it's the last kind of through line or storyline in the, in this half. We touched on it briefly, but I'm really digging and getting Vince Flynn vibes from all the White House scenes.
0: Yes. The, the president is, is intense. Yeah. The, the speech. Oval
1: Office, his speech. Yeah. So what do you think about? Because I don't think of all that as a hallmark of the I'm Scott glad.
0: Harvath series. It's way well, more Vince style. And right. like hearing, again, hearing George, you know, talk in Rutledge's voice, it, it sounded like either an Alexander or a Stevens, you know, like, yes. a, yeah, you know, I, I was getting that vibe of early, of early Vince Flynn presidential meeting rooms. Yeah, because we, you know, the first book, the president was captured and then. We really haven't had the president being that much involved in any any story. I, I guess a little bit in the State of the Union, but like it's mainly like Gary and some of the higher ups at the agencies, not not quite the president, right? And I I really
1: like it. I'm wondering if some of the other books could have had more of it, or mm. if you know, would I have liked Path of the Assassin, Path of the Assassin, or Blowback more? If it had the whole cabinet assembly scenes written as good as this one, because I I feel like in the other books so far, they haven't been this good. No, I I would agree with that. I mean, just listen to this. Here's a, um, a quote from Rutledge, and this is maybe the second or third time we've had these kind of rule of law fighting the war of terrorism. These almost constitutional debates over how should America act? What does leadership look like? To maintain the moral high ground in a fight versus enemies who don't even speak the same language of morality and good and evil that you do. you know, I feel like right. Brad is finally tackling that head on instead of just making wisecracks about it or assuming the reader has the same political philosophy as him. He's giving it thought time and, and dialogue that I don't think he's really dug into yet. And it's come up. It's been reoccurring. It's not just one chapter where it's discussed. Different policies on how to fight the war on terrorism came up over and over as a theme of this book. So I think he's really working through things here. And this is one of the quotes, quietly, Rutledge questioned why winning the war on terror and winning the war with the media seemed to be mutually exclusive. How many more September 11ths had to happen before the American people realized what a savage enemy they were facing? It was one of the most trying challenges of his administration. But the president knew that, however unpopular his choices might be, he had to put the welfare of the country and its citizens first, even if many of them couldn't stomach what had to be done. And that's Brad Thor right there, right?
0: Yeah, I think I like the maturity of, you know, whether or not you agree with Brad's thinking or not, I'd I'd much rather read his outward expression. Again, this idea of response to 911. I feel like it's way more thought out and being addressed through the scenes with Rutledge in in the white house, mm-hmm. as opposed to some of the wise, like you said, the wise cracks or the, you know, like sort of off color comments that we've gotten in previous books, right. you know, which again, we've seen him age well out of this. He's now like a different writer, different has different ideologies. Again, it's like a sign of the times. This book is, you know, 2005 again. So, yeah, no, I really enjoyed these White House scenes. I thought they were very good. And they definitely elevate the book for me. Yep. And then it, it goes in line
1: with Brad Thor's Bread and Butter, which is his real-world connections. He's he's a student of geopolitics. He's the professor. Yeah, that's what we're going to call him, Professor Thor. <laughs> and um, one of the many ways we see that here is, like you mentioned, the Timothy McVeigh bombings. He's highlighting that to inform the choices characters are making here. And another time that happens is the discussion with, I believe it's Bullet, Bob and Scott about crossing the border from Canada and how that really is a hotspot for terrorist activity and criminal activity coming into the U S but everyone's focused on and screaming about the Southern border or the ports, you know, and worried about things coming in that way. And I'm just thinking, what did you think of when the Royal Mountie at the at the border was actually one of our guys or one of our friendly friendlies on the other side and the terrorist in the car is like, oh, these Americans will cower as soon as I ask for a lawyer, as soon as I talk about my rights, you know, they'll 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 play into my hands because they'll have to let me go because I know how America works. And then they pull up and they secretly put a plant on the border who's just going to let him stroll through. I thought that
0: was brilliant. There's some interesting ideas that Brad has, and I never understood why people were so hell-bent on, like, building this wall when just having a physical wall, like, they've run the numbers and, like, how much it actually prevents people from getting across is, you know, it can be minuscule compared to, how people you know illegally traffic either through the sea through the air and again coming from the north or coming from other countries you know so right 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 you know it's canada people are safe i also like the the comment on montreal and this idea of how you know if you really if you want to go to europe you can just travel like you know, what? it's like 40 miles from, from the New York border, Montreal is, like right. at the very top. So And very European, very French,
1: you know, in its architecture and, and whatnot. So, yeah. Of course, Brad, you know, he's the travel master, so. He is. You can go to Brad for both how to travel, but also how to sneak a terrorist across the border. You know, he can answer both of those and he's got ideas, so.
0: I wanted to know, like what so the the whole point of the Mountie was just to have this guy think that he was going to be safe, but then he's not safe, like or just to have like this semblance of well, I a think border he, crossing. He was also the contact to let them through. Like
1: he could go to oh, the, right, right, the right, border right. guards and basically pull rank and say, "I'm with so and so intelligence agency and you know secret operation. You know, I'm gonna I gotta let these guys through." So right, right, right. He was able to just pull rank to to make it happen. And they even mentioned how some in the Canadian services will do that. Don't agree believe, with, the, with the policy. Right. Yeah, They'll believe in the same things guys like Gary Lawler believe in and, and work with them. But then other ones will tow the party line and, you know, basically go against our interests because they have their own. So I think it was put there to say we've got people who think like we do, understand where we're at, and are willing to cooperate in other neighboring services. So, Right. Man, not much more to this half. Anything in the first half that you wanted to you wanted to get into?
0: Yeah, we talked about the troll. We talked about Scott and Bob's friends. Um, well, I guess the troll. We said we'd talk about his backstory. and Yeah, I guess we can go a little bit more into him.
1: Yeah, so what do you think about where the troll is at, getting his backstory, and his introduction? Because we know what he'll become, but how do you feel about who he is right now?
0: You know, he's definitely in his devious phase, his his lawless phase. We know that he's going to come to the good side or whatever, you know, Scott, whatever agreement he has with Scott in the future. Again, I I think uh, the second half is really going to set up the troll to be to become Scott's main villain or adversary in the next couple books, which is interesting to think about. I'm glad you picked up the. the I did hated the voice of George Waddell doing the troll. Yeah, he's such an interesting character. Like this this guy who was, you know, his parents hated him, so they, they didn't even put him up for adoption. They like gave him to a brothel, and then he comes from you know nothing, to now, running this crazy operate or you know, a, allowing this operation to run smoothly. Um he lives in this exquisite house, buys all this exquisite food. He loves food. I remember there's, there's in every, every book that he's in, there's a scene of him cooking or eating, you know. It's a Kobe steak here, I think. Right. Kobe for steak the for dogs. the dogs. Yeah, for the <laughs> yeah, dogs. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So, he's, he's just probably, besides Scott, he's definitely Brad's best character that he's ever come up with. Yeah, I definitely think Probably so. one of the, the best characters that, any thriller author has come up with. Yeah, yeah. I think he's one
1: of those special creations that once you write someone like him, and then you write him again, and then he's in a bunch of books, I just kind of feel like you go, yeah, that's a character made for a thriller. Like, made right, for it. Right. So yeah, I would say that's one of Brad's biggest accomplishments is creating the troll and and what he does, his arc, right? I don't remember... I'm trying to think. Like obviously, here he's—you said—in his dirty phase, he's uh, an intelligence whiz with tons of tools and contacts at his disposal, and he'll he'll basically take the contract from the highest bidder. So that's a dark phase the troll is in and stays in for a while. I don't remember his turn. I, I for the life of me, I just thinking later in the series, I'm gonna be very excited to watch him be brought in. I can't nail down a moment or a book where I specifically remember. There is something big, right? There's got to be. Or
0: is it more of a slow slow turning? Uh, I think turning? it's I think it's something big and 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 I think it doesn't happen until Scott until Brad, no, until Scott is at the Carlton group. Right. Because then you have the old man so, as well. The old man. So yeah, I'm intrigued to see when you know when he he shows up, you know, obviously not in this book, but in the next couple books. Yep. There's a lot we have to get to with the with series. Um, I'm excited. W- would you say, though, both getting the troll and everything we've talked about
1: with these mystery boxes and the characters we've come to love. This is like a, a rejuvenation for the series or a regenerator of I was kind of losing interest with blowback. <laughs> uh, the path of the assassin, you know, book number two. We talked about how hard that is, a, a second book. I, I haven't yet had the buy in. To the Scott Harvath series that, gosh, think about it, that transfer gives you, that separation of power gives you, and we just go one after the other, and and Mitch Rapp just steamrolls you. You're like, you're in it. I haven't felt that way yet, but this book, this book, it's getting my attention. Do you feel that this one is about to usher in a new wave of the series? Like I feel like the first five books are what they are. We've co- we've covered them. We've talked about them. I feel like here a page is being turned or a wave is coming of this book is ushering in the next phase of who Brad Thor is as an author and, and what's in store.
0: I, I think so. But also Brad, unlike Vince, is willing to just try crazy ass things in his novels from year to year. Um, so there's definitely – we're going to get to a stretch and again it's it's once scott is working for the carlton group where the books are just banging that's where they you know? take off they and take off they they take off and like i want to say like blacklist the full black and spymaster and takedown and um oh, backlash not takedown um backlash oh, yeah. um so we're flying high by then we're we're, we're fine high by then, but yeah, I I think you know I'm I'm really liking this one again. There's there's some things that I I can critique with it, way better than Blowback. It's definitely better than Path of the Assassin. I don't know if it's better than State of the Union. It's definitely not better than Lions. State of the Union was good. We did enjoy it. The Russia plot, the Germany scenes. It's about even with Rising Tiger for me, uh, sort of like just in the middle. Okay, I liked Rising Tiger. Same, same, same. But it's also hard to compare, like, like it's really stark, like, reading these early ones and then reading, you know, like, Rising Tiger. You might think it's two different people, to be honest with you. Like, you read all these, the first five
1: books, and you could tell they're a similar author. Like, Path of the Assassin, State of the Union, Blowback Takedown. It's, like, very, very kind of similar in tone or even in pacing and construction, how the plot's constructed. However, Rising Tiger, Near Dark, all the recent ones, you wouldn't even think you know it, it would be the same author as, as someone who wrote something like this book. So we're right. definitely going right. to see those changes. W- one other thing you said made me think of not to always be comparing it to Mitch Rapp. And the Mitch Rapp series, and Kyle said this, reads like one long story arc. It's almost one long biography of Mitch, Mitch and Irene. Right. Right. That's definitely not true, I feel, of the Scott Harvath series. I'm not getting a picture of his life and, and the timeline of his life through these books. I'm just getting different separate adventure stories, which are all really, really cool and really, really fun. And you're right. The series doesn't take off until it has the through lines. And the troll is part of that. The Carlton group's a big part of that. Scott settling down with some ladies is a part of that. I wonder... If the Meg Cassidy or what's whatever her name is, um, in lines of Lucerne. Laura. Oh, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and then Meg Cassidy. Right. We need to get to Lara. Yeah. And and now we need to get to Sonya. And I feel like the books have more of that connective tissue once those platforms are established. So very different so far in how I have to approach this series to what we've done on the Mitrapod. pod. So just me processing here. Just I'll get out of the funk. And I'm not going to draw conclusions on this book. Until part two next week, because these mystery boxes that are, are laid for us, the traps that have been set, I think I'm falling into them hook, line, and sinker, and I think the end of this book with the reveals is just going to blow me out of the water. So I'm going to reserve judgment on this book, see until I finish it next week, and you guys will get to hear you know, the raw raw cut, hot takes of our scores, our analysis, and how this book stacks up. I'm not going to rank it yet until... We, we get to the very end next week
0: all right sounds good all right we need to thank our patrons including our special operator sherry f our special agents daryl kevin george matt dawn dennis peggy Catherine, ray bridget jeff and mark please subscribe rate and review using your favorite podcast platform you can find us online at thrillerpod.com or on twitter and instagram at thriller podcast and as always let's scott be scott Let Scott be Scott. There you go. And as always, let Scott be Scott.